foundation funding. On the one hand, it seems like there's so many fish in the foundation pond. Why are you not reeling them in? On the other hand, they seem so elusive and so complicated. In my humble opinion, foundations often seem mysterious, bureaucratic, maybe a little cold, maybe even skeptical. Okay, maybe that's a stereotype. If it was Jeopardy, I'll take uh, gross generalizations for 400, Alex. Uh, and then there's all these hoops you have to jump through. And of course, that, that nasty word that isn't four letters, but it should be, metrics. And if you're a young organization, this is the word that keeps you up at night. Today, we're going to look at the world of foundations through the eyes of a woman who runs a substantive program area for a significant funder here in my home state of New Jersey. She will talk candidly about what works, what could work better about her sector, and she will have advice for you. Our guest has a lot of opinions, and no one has ever accused me of being short on them. Between the two of them, that should make for an awful lot of advice and opinions. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. Molly D'Aguiar is a treasure at the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation here in my home state of New Jersey, a foundation that has for the last 40 years been about supporting leadership innovation and collaboration for a better New Jersey. And I am all for that. This foundation focuses on four key areas, arts, education, environment, and informed communities. Enter Molly D'Aguiar. Molly leads the Informed Communities Program. This is a program that supports a wide range of projects and ideas that explore the future of local journalism, focusing in on collaborating, reporting, community participation, and creative storytelling. In the spirit of an informed New Jersey community, Molly also leads the foundation's efforts to promote the value and impact of philanthropy in New Jersey. And she also writes a terrific blog. As a blogger, I know terrific blogs when I see them called Philanthropy Sketchbook. Molly, thank you so much for sharing your insights with our listeners today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Great. Um, so many, many questions I know uh, our listeners will have for you today. So I've made a really long list and we'll never get through them all. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start. Let's start with the um, let's start with the obvious one for you. What makes a great proposal? Okay, so what makes a great proposal for me? Uh, I would put at the top of that list a very clear vision um, and roadmap for how you're going to achieve that vision. So the, um, the more clear you can be and the more detailed you can be, the better. But also um, being very honest about the challenges in your work. Um, I really, it's really easy to spot a proposal that is very sugar-coated. It's also very easy to spot spot a proposal that is a real cookie-cutter proposal um, that doesn't speak to, um, you know, specifics that, that our foundation is interested in. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that it's really important to try to make a connection to the other kinds of work that we're funding in New Jersey, whether it's connections to other um, nonprofits that we fund or potentially connections to geographic locations where we fund. You know, we want to see that um, we're trying to leverage uh, the, the 
the nonprofits that we fund, we're trying to maximize the, those connections between them and build networks. And so we want all of the nonprofits we fund to be part of a network. And if uh, an applicant comes in and they have just no connection to anything else we fund, it's really unlikely that, that we're going to fund that proposal. Okay, so I have a couple of follow-up questions for you. Honest. <laughs> I've run a nonprofit. There's, isn't there a risk in being honest? Uh, and uh, like, how do you, how do you, as a executive director or a development director, sort of walk that fine line between being, gee, I want you to invest in a winning, you know, in a winning team, uh, and at the same time lay bare your the challenges you face. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good question, and and the the truth is that um, it's easier to be honest once you're in the door, right? <laughs> you know, yes, once you've, definitely. Once you've gotten a a grant, and then you you're going back for another one, it's much easier because you've built that relationship with the funder. But, um, you know, that, that for me, it's a personal it's a personal preference. It, I, I feel like my my role is to be as supportive as possible of of an applicant and a grantee and I can't help you if you're not being honest with me. If I don't really understand what the issues are, then I can't be helpful. And so I understand that not all uh, program staff are like that. Um, I think there's a joke about, you know, once you've met one foundation program officer, you've met one foundation program officer because we all are, <laughs> are, are different and all foundations have such different ways of operating. But for me personally, honesty is really important. So I'm thinking about the little or smaller organizations um, and I'm thinking about that word vision you mentioned. Uh, does that mean you're looking that you're looking for somebody who has a strategic plan? No, not necessarily. Um, when you read a lot of proposals, um, it's it it it's pretty easy to spot the organizations that really know what they're doing and are trying to accomplish versus the ones that write sort of meandering proposals and maybe throw in a bunch of statistics to obfuscate. And, you know, I think it's really important. You didn't ask me about impact yet, and I hope we get to that. But we you, will. You can't, you, can't, you can't get to impact if you're not really clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish so that you can then um, start to devise questions to help guide the way you think about your impact. For example, I fund a lot of local journalism efforts, and a news organization might come to me uh, and request a grant, and their mission may be something like, we want to inform communities. And, and so my, um, my question to them at some point is going to be, well, how will you know you have informed the community? And that's not an easy question to answer, um, but it does make you start to think about, well, okay, well, maybe we need to be a little bit more specific than informing communities. What do we mean by that? And then you, right. when you start to drill down, then you can start asking specific questions about, okay, well, we say we want to do this. How will we know if we have done this, if we have accomplished this. And so right. 
having, for me, when I say a vision, it's not so much about a strategic plan, although I think that's great and it would be helpful, <laughs> right? It, it's good yes. to have a strategic plan to, to have a touchstone for you and to um, help you spell out exactly what you're driving toward. But if you don't, that's not a deal breaker. So let's move, let's move uh, organically on here to this issue of metrics and impact. Um, what do you mean by it? And mm -hmm. I, I recognize that I'm interviewing one program officer. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, what do you mean by it? How do you define it? Um, yeah, let's, let's why don't you yeah. take a crack at those. Yeah, I, so I would say the Dodge Foundation, historically, our, um, our reporting process our has has not focused on metrics. It's been more of a narrative. Tell us what you learned, um, because we fund. Um, we're pretty patient, committed funders, and and we give a lot of general operating support. So, um, it's you know when you um, when you hear a lot of the conversations about metrics, those. There, those tend to be, in a lot of ways, they tend to be pegged more to project support um, where there right. are more clear benchmarks. I think for us, we tend to avoid using the word metrics. We really don't, um, I don't even think you would find that in our application. I mean, we talk about how will you know you've accomplished this, but we don't really even use that word. It's sort of just not part of our culture. But again, I mean, for me, it's just about being really clear about what you're trying to accomplish and then and then being committed to some level of of discipline and rigor about asking yourself some tough questions about whether or not you're actually you know either accomplishing or moving or making progress toward that vision. Yeah, it's interesting when I ran an organization called Glad that was all about uh, <clears throat> helping to um, hold the media accountable for fair, accurate, and inclusive representation of the LGBT community in the media. It was difficult for us. I mean, we couldn't take credit for, you know, will and grace or, right. <laughs> you know, and I remember talking with funders and they would say, we need to know that you have access and entree to the people who do make decisions and that you get those meetings hmm. and then right that that for us that's a way for us to measure you know sort of your impact is whether or not you have the kind of people that folks in Hollywood or in news are actually uh, meeting with to hear what you have to say mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I think impact and, and sort of how you frame what success looks like for you depends a lot on what kind of work you do. But I also think the idea of a narrative is highly appealing to many, uh, many, many nonprofits, I think. I have a question for you that um, came up, and it wasn't on my list, which is probably not a good sign. But um, how do you factor in? I mean, I, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are board members. Mm-hmm. And how do you factor in, if at all, the strength and stability of this of this other engine that a nonprofit has, the board? Mm -hmm. We um, actually, the Dodge Foundation has a very robust uh, technical assistance program. In, in, and in fact, uh, we have 
a, a school year long program that's specifically about uh, strengthening boards, nonprofit boards. So we encourage it's a free it's a free series of workshops that run from about September to May or June. And we encourage our grantees to come, and it has to be an executive director and a board member so that there is a team there. And they go through a series of workshops on, um, you know, uh, board executive director relationship, um, fund, how, to, how to help your board be better fundraisers. Um, there are a number of them. And so um, obviously for us, we see capacity building in that way as a really important thing that, that philanthropy can do beyond the grant check. And We're do very you, committed to that. Do you, do you look at, just real quickly, do you look at, when you look at a proposal, do you look at the board and, you know, do, you, do your proposals um, demand that you give information regarding your boards? Because I feel like so many, <laughs> so many funders actually fund without actually having a clue about whether or not there's a weak board or a strong board. And that makes a huge difference in how the money actually is invested. Yeah, we, we have, well, we do, we ask for, um, in our application, we ask for uh, the board list. But more importantly, I think the main question we ask, and we get a lot of feedback from, from applicants on this, is um, do you have 100% board giving? Um, and although we have never specifically turned down an application because if they say no, they only have 80% or 60%, um, we always ask about it. If it's less than 100%, we always ask about it because, you know, it's a real mark of, um, of a healthy organization to see that every single board member is invested in the organization. And we have gotten feedback from, from nonprofits that say that that question on our application has helped them get board gifts that they were previously unable to get. Yep. I, uh, I, I sing this song with my clients almost every day is that every single board member has to illustrate that they have skin in the game. And by yeah. the way, you can't ask for money for an organization as a board member unless you can use the words, join me. That's yeah. my philosophy. Anyway. I totally agree. So um, give me some of the reasons. You wrote a really excellent piece on your blog, which is called Philanthropy Sketchbook, um, about why foundations say no. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, this is a really complicated thing to explain to people um, because, <laughs> because it could be the case that uh, your application fits perfectly within our guidelines, and we still say no. And it's because there are so many factors that go into the decision, and they all are sort of moving targets. Um, it may be that we don't have the budget for it, you know, that we've already basically allocated our budget for the year. It may be that the timing is just not right, that like, you know, lots of times I come across ideas and I think, oh, I love that idea. But it's I gotta I gotta lay some groundwork in some other places first, and then and then come back and fund that you know maybe next year or six months from now. Um, 
it may be that, again, going back to that it's not connected to any of our other work and it just feels like an outlier um, or that, you know, your, you haven't sort of convinced us that your idea was clear or convinced us that you can actually deliver what you say you're going to do. But a lot of times, you know, a lot of times, most of the times it's about guideline fit, which is also very hard to um, to articulate because you know you can read guidelines on a website and you can and you can say oh yeah we fit right into those but the problem yeah. is that guidelines are so complex and nuanced you know each program yeah, yeah you can ask any executive director or development director they'll tell you yes those guidelines yeah. are very complex yeah because what happens is you've got these guidelines that are sort of your general guiding you know what you're trying what you're trying to fund and support but Within that, you have some very specific ideas of how you're going to do that, and that doesn't that often is not conveyed through guidelines. And so, you know, it's it's hard. I fully recognize it's really hard to understand that unless the program officer happens to be very communicative and writes a lot, and and you can do that kind of research to really understand. Oh, I really understand what this person is trying to fund. Absent well, of that, think, it's really I, hard. Yeah, I think that you're you're making a really good point, and it goes back to what you said earlier too, is doing your homework about a foundation and doing your homework about the program officer that's the lead in your particular area. Yeah, is something I don't think people do often enough, yeah. and they just say, "Oh, there's a good fit here. I'm going to take my boilerplate grant proposal, and I'm going to kind of customize it up, and I'm going to just kind of send it in, mm-hmm. and um, the customizing it up." doesn't include some of the things that you've talked about, the intersections with other work, uh, you know, or home, I mean, you're actually a prolific writer, so I, there's lots out there about what you think and feel about the world of philanthropy. So I think, um, I mean, I think that's part of what makes it daunting to actually even apply for foundation funding is it just feels like, (laughs) I think for a lot of people, it feels like so much work. Well, it is. It is a lot of work, um, and yeah, I mean, and you know what? And it should easy, be. Right? It should right? be. I mean, it should be, and especially. I mean, I think the other piece of this is that it, that it should be because you're going to make an investment in that organization that presumably, especially if it's Gen Op, um, you know, it, is going to be a a long term investment, and that's yeah. what you that's what you're driving for anyway. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, if I get a major donor to make a $5,000 gift because they want a good seat at my dinner, um, I don't have to do a whole lot of homework on that donor other than to know that that donor has a sizable ego, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't need to know about what that donor cares about, what that donor is invested in, where else that donor gives. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 it bothers the heck out of me when I hear nonprofits complaining about the hoops that they have to jump through for foundations. Mm-hmm. Because truthfully, I think that if you come at it with the right attitude, you're actually, you're, you're leading people to step up their own game in, in the process yeah. of applying for money. Yeah, that's true. I, I do think that, um, I, I do think some foundations or a lot of foundations are, are, perhaps a little excessive with their hoops, though. I mean, I I definitely see that side of the argument as well, um, because right. to me that um, 
all of that, all of those hoops, all of those questions, all of that documentation is the structure that philanthropy puts in place to avoid taking risks and being bold, right? We try to find out there's we try to find out every last detail so we can't be surprised. And unfortunately, I think that leads to um, not taking the kinds of risks that could lead to really interesting things. Um, so so you know, I would hope that funders could find a better balance between making sure they get enough information and, and posing, you know, really good, clear questions, but not throwing out a whole bunch of um, uh, questions and uh, requests for data that are just sort of for the sake of collecting data. You know, I said at the very beginning that um, there's a stereotype about mystery and bureaucracy. We've talked a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, what about, and you've written a little bit about this, what about the sort of the, the heart and soul of philanthropy? To me, you know, I, I, I'm, um, I'm now a sort of a nonprofit expert on this new NBC show called Give uh, that appears on Saturday mornings at noon, Shame, shameless plug inserted here. <laughs> and um, and one of the things that I say to these celebrities is that the decision to give money is comes from the head and it comes from the heart. Mm -hmm. And how do you, what's the, 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 there's something about empathy that I feel, empathy or heart that sometimes feels like it's missing in the foundation world. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, it makes me so sad even just to hear that because, you know, what it, philanthropy means, love of mankind. <laughs> So if you're miss if you don't have empathy, you know maybe you shouldn't be in the sector. Um, I I agree. I think there there are a couple of issues here. I mean I I totally agree with you that foundations can be real mysteries and um, right. and be very opaque. And I feel very fortunate to work for a foundation that specifically tries to be the opposite of that. We're very customer service oriented. We try to be. Um, we try to answer everybody's questions, um, and we used to respond to letters when we used to get letters, but we don't get letters anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're very attuned to being as accessible as possible and trying to be as transparent as possible, and I'm really proud of that. Um, because I think that's the way philanthropy should be. But, you know, so then there's this other piece of it, which is it feels like it goes hand in hand when you have this sort of mysterious, opaque foundation. It feels like they're automatically coming at you with this very skeptical tone. And I understand that. I think it kind of depends on what kind of foundation it is, too. If it's a family foundation and a, and a program person is actually, like, it's their it's actually their money versus, you know, another kind of foundation where it's not their money. I mean, I think that colors the conversation a little bit. Um, you know, it, it, I have on, on occasion... Um, you know, felt that skepticism too. You know, we get requests, we get inundated with requests for meetings that, you you know, you a lot of them are clearly just people seeing if if they uh, if there's any possibility that they could get a grant. And so sometimes it gets exhausting, and you sort of turn a little skeptical, and so you have yep. to fight against that. Um, but to me, the best the best kind of philanthropy is deeply, deeply empathetic. 
there's a um <clears throat> the other uh, the other item i think uh that that's worth talking about in the dodge foundation and by the way um we are talking with molly de aguiar who is the lead um program officer in the informed communities program at the geraldine r dodge foundation um, they have uh, as a foundation for the last 40 years, been about supporting leadership, innovation, and collaboration for a better New Jersey. And uh, Molly is not only a program officer there, uh, but also is a uh, prolific writer and blogger and speaker, has a great blog at Philanthropy Sketchbook, so you should check it out. Um, the Dodge Foundation gives general operating support. The Ford Foundation has just gone uh, to a, a new model that emphasizes general operating support. Is this a trend? She asks, hopefully. Yeah, sure. I hope so. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm very fortunate to work for a foundation that has long believed in uh, giving primarily general operating support. We obviously give some program support too, but um, I think that's perhaps the hallmark of a place-based funder, perhaps, or, you know, maybe more community foundations do this as well. But there's a certain sense that when you're in a place and committed to a place for a long time, I could imagine that it's easier for the funder to think about doing operating support. Right. Um, I, I hope it is. I mean, I think the concern I would have about foundations um, sort of splitting up, okay, we're going to give you project support, but but we're going to include in your budget 20% for operating support. Like, that's great on, on the face, but it, if in reality what it means is um, that a grantee says, um, well, this project is going to cost $100,000, and the funder says, okay, great, 20% of that is operating support. That's not how it should work. It should be they should, the funder should be giving $120,000, not trying to cram the operating support into the true cost of the program support, right. which is, right. would be my concern about, about the way that they mandate those percentages. But, you know, it's a baby steps, right? It's a step in the right direction, and um, I'm glad Ford is leading on it, and I, I, hope, that, um, I hope that they find... Um, you know, a few years from now that they can um, increase that percentage because I think that operating support um, is conveys a message of trust. Yes, I was actually, if you didn't say it, I was going to, right? Yeah. I trust the leadership of this organization to make yeah. good, thoughtful decisions because I've seen the vision. I understand right. where you're headed. I know what impact looks like. Go forth and yeah. I can't wait to hear about what you do with our funds. Like exactly. that's, that's exact. I think that's the sort of the, 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 the kind of the message that you you convey when you give general operating support. I totally agree with that. Um, time for just one or two more quick questions. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes nonprofits are so busy because you know they're so busy because they're we're, we're all in the business of changing the world. So it mm -hmm. takes up a lot of time. Um, they don't communicate very well with their funders. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could spend a little, just real quickly, uh, what does good communications look like? Uh, you know, sometimes I think funders think they, oh, sh uh, EDs think they are going to impose or, well, I just do a report at the end of the year and I'm all good. Like, what does good communications between a nonprofit and a funder look like? 
um, I, all, I always welcome hearing from, from any of my grantees. Uh, I, I am happy to get updates. It's funny because I think from my end, I don't want to appear as if I'm sort of meddling and need constant updates. Um, but I will always be happy to hear what those updates are throughout the year. I would much rather get um, occasional updates than than to wait a whole year. I mean, that doesn't really, in reality, that doesn't really happen for me because we're such a high-touch organization that I see all of my grantees several times a year, and so I, I sort of build it into the way I do my work. Right. Um, but actually, I think there's, um, it's not, Good communications is not just about um, the organization making sure that they're keeping the foundation updated. I, what I would really love, like what I think is a huge missed opportunity by nonprofits is just more documentation of your work, more public documentation. Like if you had a blog or even use Twitter pretty you know, heavily to say, this is what we're working on right now. This is uh, something we learned that was really inter interesting to us that we didn't expect. Or, um, man, we had a great turnout today, and you know these things happened that um, we're really excited about because we think it's going to lead to this. You know, like just ha just documenting your work in public would go a really really long way toward a helping. Um, foundations understand your work more deeply, understand where you're trying to go, what kind of impact you're trying to have. And I also think it, it increases trust in your organization, the more um, transparent you are and more communicative you are. And I, I recognize that probably the biggest barrier is, is time, you know, the capacity to actually make time to um, write something about your work regularly. Uh, I, I am guilty of it myself. I have um, been a little lax on my philanthropy sketchbook Tumblr recently. <laughs> but, like, I love reading about when other people are sort of publicly um, talking about what they're thinking about with their work or giving me behind-the-scenes looks of how they did something. So, again, I fund a lot of journalism, and whenever I um, – I love blog posts that are like, here's how we – here's how we did this project, that it's just like right. straight documentation. I love that because it is so fascinating to me and it just helps right. me, it just gives me a new dimension to the work. And so for me, I think that's a real missed opportunity by the vast majority of nonprofits. Well, and I think you, you're making an important point here, which is part of what makes your job a fabulous job is the degree to which you are enriched by the work of your grantees, Absolutely. by right, is mm -hmm. by the the degree to which you are enriched by a greater understanding of your sector, courtesy of your nonprofits. And I, I don't think that nonprofits think the road runs both ways, but I, I think it does. Oh my gosh, it definitely does. I I I mean that's the joy of being in philanthropy, right? Is to be able to support amazing work and ideas by people who are passionate and, and 
and smart and innovative. Like it's so exciting. There's so there's so much good work out there happening that like there are days when I feel like sort of jumping up and down in my office because I'm so excited <laughs> about some of the work that's happening. So absolutely, it's it's a joy to be able to be in this position and to support good work. Well, I, that probably is. Uh, it, it, we should quit while we're ahead here in, in the talking about joy category. We should let you get back to jumping up and down. Um, Molly, I'm so delighted that you were here with us this morning, and it's uh, an inside look from uh, for um, executive directors and development directors and board members about sort of what it's like to stand in your shoes. I think uh, I, I'm, I have every confidence that it was enormously valuable to our listeners. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Great. So um, if you are looking for resources on how to be a more effective nonprofit, uh, you can find me and this podcast on iTunes. Uh, Nonprofits are messy. You also can subscribe to my blog at joangary.com. That's with two R's, G-A-R-R-Y.com. And uh, okay, I'll shamelessly promote it for one more second. You can also find me on Saturdays on NBC on a really interesting new show that Molly should probably watch and blog about. Um, <laughs> called <laughs> It's called Give, where celebrities actually visit uh, several nonprofits and make decisions about how to allocate um, how to allocate the funding so that both nonprofits um, really um, really win. So um, until next time, thank you so much for joining us, but more importantly, thank you so much for the work you do, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks so much. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.